Well, good morning. It is so good to be here with you guys this morning. Hey, my name's Will, if we haven't had a chance to meet. Um, and I have the honor of serving as senior minister here at Grace Christian Church. And I'm so glad to be able to be here to bring the word and what God has put on my heart this morning. And I'm glad that you're here with us. Church Online family, we're glad that you're here to worship with us. Let us know where you're worshiping from. Snap a picture, a selfie or something, and, and share it in the comments. And be a part, engage with us this this morning as we worship together. Um, if you, if this is not your first time, welcome back. You might be able to tell that I'm uh, a little affected by the pollen and everything today. Um, this past week has been brutal on my throat, so I apologize for that. And yesterday woke up uh, really unable to speak much of anything, and so um, I'm feeling a little bit better today. I did get a COVID test just to be on the safe side, and it was negative. Um, otherwise, I would not be here this morning. Um, but what we're, what we're speaking on, what we're, what we're talking about in the series we're in is so important. And I wanted to be here, and I wanted to share what God had put on my heart this week to share with you. Um, this is certainly not, not the way I would prefer to preach. Um, I'm going to have some tea down here that I'll sip from here and there. This is not me at my best. I'm not feeling 100%, but we're going to make some adaptions, and I'm going to change some, some things, and we're going to make it work. And the more I thought about that, and not prefacing it too much, and not trying to get you, get you to give me too much slack this morning, but that's kind of the mindset that I've come to this series with, and I hope that's the mindset that you can come to this series with also. Last week, we started a new series called Building Faith. And what we're looking at is, is kind of the, the essentials of faith, the essentials of our, our Christian faith, and what we believe uh, as a church, as a denomination, um, piece, pieces of what, what we believe also. And what I really tried to emphasize last week is that there may be times that we come to the text and we don't quite like what we find. I'm just being real for a moment. It's, it's sometimes convicting to, to be in a passage of Scripture and say, wait a minute, I, that doesn't really fit. And I'm not sure how to, how to make it fit. And I don't want to just force it into my belief system, but it's a little uncomfortable. It's a little awkward. And what it takes on our behalf, on my behalf, is to recognize that I am not God. And that I don't, I don't know everything. And we have to let Scripture speak for Scripture and do our best to understand what it says. And, and there's even a part of me that, that thinks that if Scripture completely fits in our box and there's no pieces of Scripture that cause discomfort, then maybe we're not reading Scripture correctly. If we fully understand Scripture, if we fully understand God, if it doesn't make us squirm and, and uncomfortable a little bit, then maybe we're reading it through the lens that we want to read it, and we're, we're finding what we want to find there, but not the truth that God has. Because he is so much bigger than us, and so much bigger than, than my truth and what I believe, and I have to conform my thoughts to his thoughts, and not the other way around. So last week we started with the foundations. We started with what's essential to, to Christianity across the globe, regardless of, of where you're from or or what you believe, what is absolutely essential to our faith, right? We believe in one God. We believe that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. We believe that he physically died and he physically rose from the dead. 
And that grace is free. Salvation is a free gift from God. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. It is a free gift from God. And we started with that foundation. And today, we're going to look at a couple other pieces, just two topics today, that are foundational to what we believe. And they start building the walls. They start building the walls on this house as we talk about um, doctrines and theology. And there's a piece of what we believe this morning that we're going to talk about that is absolutely foundational and then the implications of it and the, uh, the way it plays out starts to form our walls. And the first topic that we're going to talk about this morning is, is Scripture. It's this book. The Holy Word of God that we, we got those foundational pieces from last week, right? It is the Word of God that gives us the foundation that there is one God. Jesus is fully man and fully God that... He physically dies, physically rose from the dead, and that salvation is a free gift from God. And and it is foundational, and we find that in scriptures, but what makes this book holy? Why why is this the word of God? And and we're going to look at this book this morning. Uh, We believe three things to be truth about scriptures, about this book that we have, that they are inspired, they are inerrant, and infallible. We believe that this book is inspired, and that simply means that that God spoke the words that are in this book to to men men and women to to write them down, to record what we have right here in front of us. For example, Genesis uh, covers the beginning of the world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and there was no one around at that point. So how do we know what happened at the beginning when no one was there? And we give credit to Moses for writing the first five books of, of the Old Testament, but he wasn't there. He, he, he wasn't around for that. But God told him what happened, and he wrote it down, and he recorded it for us. They are inspired word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. Now, Jesus himself spoke about this in John chapter 16. He told his disciples, verse 12 to 13, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things uh, that are to come. The Spirit of God will will hear from God and and communicate it to us for us to write down. So so we take what Peter writes, what John writes, what Paul writes in the New Testament as authoritative because it is inspired that the Spirit of God communicated from God what they are to write down and record for us. And so the Word of God is inspired. It's Inerrant also, that inerrant and fallible mean similar things. Inerrant means that there are no mistakes. It contains no errors. And infallible means that it is not capable of containing errors. Right? It is the perfect holy word of God. This is, this is a reflection of God himself. Right? If God is perfect, then the word he spoke is perfect. And it does not contain errors. And it does not contain mistakes. And it cannot because it is the perfect word of God. Now here's where we need to start to become just a little cautious and start to make a couple distinctions. The Old Testament was written primarily in Hebrew and the New Testament primarily in Greek. In, in Greek. Anybody speak fluent Hebrew and Greek here? Anybody? 
A little bit. A little bit, maybe. Okay, I had, I had a couple semesters in Greek, nothing in Hebrew. We don't. And so people who are a whole lot smarter than me sit down and they study the text. And they have come up with our English translations. And sometimes our English translations can look a little different. For example, Amos chapter 4, if we could put that up on the screen. Amos chapter 4 verse 6 on the left-hand side. Left-hand side over here for you. Um, that is the ESV, the English Standard Version. It says, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. And on the right side is the New Living Translation. I brought hunger to every city and famine to every town. So it, it says the same thing. right? It, it says the same thing. In essence, it's the same thing. But that's very different. In fact, I highlighted for you the common words. Do you see the common words highlighted in yellow? One word. I. I. That's it. That's it. I don't think I missed any. If, if you did, let, let me know if I missed one. But that was the only common word that I saw. It says the same thing. But it is communicated in a very different way. Uh, when I got married, when Hannah and I started dating, some differences started to make themselves very, very apparent. I would ask her how her day was or how her trip to the store was. And it was like she wanted to bring me along in this journey. She told me about what happened at the intersection. She told me what they were out of at the store, how frustrating it was for this, that, and the other thing. And, and it's like she just wanted me to come along on this journey with her. I did ask. I asked. And, and she told me. How my day was. It was good. And it was like she wanted more. She kept asking questions. Would you get a lot done? Uh-huh. I mean, not as much as I need to or wanted to, but I, I got some stuff done. That was good. It's just different, right? Men and women are different, and, and people are different. I know guys that, that want to go into just as much detail about things. Pe people are different. And so when we come to the text, we... We, we, all, we all have seen a, a thesaurus before, right? There are similar words that mean something very similar to another word. And, and so when scholars come to the text, then one might feel that this word fits a little better here. And someone else might think that this other word fits a little better there. But sometimes the translation method might be different. Um, so one of the most common questions that I'm asked, not maybe the, but one of the most common questions is, what's the difference in all the Bible translations and, and which one should I use? Uh, there are two, primarily two different translation thoughts, and I'm not going to get in the weeds of this, but it might be helpful for some of you, and so we're going to talk a little bit about it. The first one is word for word. Here's this word in the, in the Hebrew or the Greek, and here's what it means. And here's what this word means, and we're just going to go down the line, and then what we have when we put it together is what we have. We call this a word-for-word -word translation, and sometimes they end up being what we call wooden. They just don't really flow very well together. It, it's sometimes a little, it's a little clunky sometimes, and it's, it can be difficult to, to read a verse or to read a passage when it doesn't flow well together. Uh, translations such as the uh, New American Standard Bible, the NASB, is a word-for-word -word translation. On the other end of the spectrum over here, you have a thought-for-thought -thought translation. 
And so it takes a sentence or verse, it takes a paragraph, and it says, here's what all the words mean. Now let's make some minor adjustments to make it flow and read a little bit better. So, so let's change he to him. That doesn't change anything. But it fits our language a little bit more, makes it a little bit easier for us to read, a little bit more of a devotional style that, that we can just read and, and, and get a little bit more from. And so we have translations such as the New Living Translation that is more of a thought-for-thought thought translation. And so it depends on what you're using it for. It depends, and, and, and neither one of them are wrong. They're just different. Another piece that changes and influences translations over time is that our English language changes. It's incredible. You go back and you look at the copies of the copies of the copies of the copies of the Hebrew and the Greek text, and it is remarkable the accuracy that each copy has. It's it's amazing. But our language changes. Right? Words 50 years ago don't mean the same thing that they mean today. The easy example of this is the King James Version. Right? No one, no one speaks in King James English anymore. It's a beautiful, beautiful translation. And some of the Psalms are, are beautiful. But the language has changed a little bit. So uh, the NIV Version, New International Version, a few years ago went through a revision. And they changed some of the things but what they changed were, were the words that mean something a little different today. So, for example, one of the big changes that they did is all throughout the, uh, throughout the uh, epistles, the, the later books of the, of the New Testament, the word brothers is used quite frequently to, re, to refer to a church community. Uh, greet the brothers in Laodicea or dear brothers in Ephesus. And, and clearly, Paul is not talking about a particular family that share blood in common and just, just the boys, just, just the brothers. No, he's, he's talking to the whole church, men and women, and addressing the congregation, the church in this place. And so the NIV came back with their most recent uh, update, and they tra- changed a lot, of, a lot of, not all of, but a lot of brothers to brothers and sisters. And it doesn't change the text. It's, we're not changing the word of God when we do this. We are, we're updating some things. But it, it leads us to being very cautious. It leads us to being very cautious to putting too much emphasis on this one particular English word. So when we come to a text and we'll say, well, they use of instead of for. Or to instead of on. We, they, this particular word, maybe... But let's look at some other translations. Let's try to go back to the, to the Greek, to, to the original inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God. And let's do a little bit of digging. And let's see if maybe it is that important. Maybe it's not. And we have just to be careful when we come to the text and we, we read this book that we have in front of us. Because it is inspired word of God and we don't, we don't want to get it wrong. And we have to be careful. Here are some other passages that highlight the importance, the, the uh, inspired, the inerrant, infallible Word of God. Here's some other passages about Scripture. Matthew twenty four thirty five says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And it is amazing to see the different copies and how accurate they are and how the Word of God has not changed for thousands of years. 
Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Hebrews chapter 4, 12 to 13 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is amazing. The way that people 400 years ago could read the word of God and be convicted of sin and how they should live in their culture years ago and I today can read the very same words and be convicted of my sin and how I should live in a totally different place with totally different struggles and and hurdles. And it is amazing how the Word of God is living and active. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. And Jesus said a very similar thing in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. He answered them, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. There is substance here that fills our soul, that satisfies us, that is sweet, that is beautiful, that is joyous, and it brings life and conviction to our souls. And this is a precious, precious gift from God. The other, uh, the other topic that we're going to talk about this morning is baptism. We talked a little bit around baptism last week, and we, we talked about it a little bit, but this week we're going to talk more about baptism itself, what it is, why we believe it's as important as it is. And the first thing we have to recognize is that baptism is not unique to Christianity it existed long before Christ was on the scene. We see John baptizing in the Jordan, right? Jesus came to him to be baptized. And nobody said, John, what are you doing dunking people in the Jordan? And nobody said, hey, this is a weird thing you're doing. This is completely foreign. No, this, was, this was something that they were familiar with. But what Jesus did is he took it and he changed what it meant. And he changed what it represented. Colossians chapter 2, Paul says, Having been, been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And so this is one reason, reason we believe in immersion baptism is because we believe that when we're baptized and we go under the waters of baptism, we are connecting, we are identifying with Jesus in his death. We are being buried with him as he was buried in the ground. And when we come up, we come up in the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. And as Jesus came to new life, so do we. And we come up into new life because Jesus came into new life and he made that available through his death and his resurrection. So we are connecting with Jesus and as we die and we come back to life. In Acts chapter 2, when Jesus has ascended into heaven, he told the disciples, stay in this area until you receive the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit come down from heaven and, and appear like tongues of fire on the disciples, on the apostles, and, and they rested on them. And Peter started preaching the gospel. He started preaching the good news. And he talked about the death and resurrection of Jesus and how it brings new life and, and covers for sin. And, 
And people were cut to the heart because that's what scripture does, right? That's what the gospel does. It cuts to the heart. And so they were cut to the heart and they believed the words that Peter said. And they said, what should we do? And in Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so this is one of the major passages we look to that we emphasize baptism. Now, as we talked about last week, salvation and the gift of grace, it is, it is a free gift. There's nothing that we do to earn or deserve it, but it is this act of baptism that we look to for receiving the gift that God gave us. It happened on the cross through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And in baptism, we receive the forgiveness that he made possible through his death and resurrection And we receive the new life and the gift of the Holy Spirit that he made possible through his death and resurrection. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 3. He says, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, So baptism is what saves you, but it's not the getting wet part. It's not getting underwater. It's not, it's not the actual going down and coming up. No, no. It's, it's what it represents in that moment as an appeal to God through the resurrection of Jesus. So it's not baptism that saves us, but it is what happens in that moment when we receive what Christ made possible on the cross through his resurrection. There's a couple passages in the book of Acts, where we actually see the gift of the Holy Spirit and baptism being separate. And a lot of times we like to put them together. But in Acts chapter 10, what we see is Peter being called by God to go to a man's house by the name of Cornelius. Cornelius was a, was a Gentile. And so Peter was like, I, I'm not so sure about this. So God came and says, yeah, I want you to go because I am bringing the gospel and this good news to the whole world, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles and to the entire world. And as Peter is telling them the gospel and the good news, the Holy Spirit comes down and rests upon and goes into the Gentiles who are listening, who are believing the words uh, Peter is preaching to them. And so Peter looks around and says, well, I guess you should be baptized. So let's do this. And he baptizes them. Earlier in chapter 8, what we see is that Philip and some of the apostles are preaching in Samaria. You remember the conflict that Jews and Samaritans had? They did not like each other. They were preaching and they were receiving. They were accepting the word of God. And so they started baptizing the Samaritans. But but they didn't receive the Holy Spirit. And so what Peter and John do as representatives of the apostles is they go down to Samaria And they pray, they lay hands on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. And what we have here are beautiful stories. Beautiful stories of unity in the church, of the gospel expanding into the uttermost ends of the earth. And I think we have these stories to show how they go together. I think we have these stories that even though they are separate, I think we have these stories in Scripture to show how baptism and receiving the Holy Spirit go together. And so when one group was baptized and they didn't receive the Holy Spirit, the apostles said, yes, we know that that happened, so we're going to come down. And when vice versa happens, the apostles came down because to, to show us and to emphasize how baptism and the Holy Spirit goes together. I love, um, I love Bob Russell's 
example of, of baptism and, and salvation. And, and so often we, we point to this moment of baptism as the moment we're saved. And so sometimes we can have this pull and this desire inside of us to, in a degree, overemphasize baptism. It is important. I don't want to take away from it at all whatsoever. But it's because of the cross and, resurre- cross and resurrection of Jesus that we're saved. And so Bob Russell will talk about baptism and salvation, and he'll ask people, when, when is the moment that someone is married? When is someone married? Is it the moment that they're standing up in front of everybody exchanging vows, and they say, I do, and then they turn and face, and the preacher says, I now pronounce you husband and wife? Is it the moment that the marriage certificate is signed, and the state now recognizes that, that you're husband and wife? Or is it that fantastic moment later that evening when husband and wife go home and are physically joined and become one physically in the holy union of sex for the first time? Is that the moment that husband and wife become one? When when are you married? Well, all three of those are very important. And in the same way, what we see in scriptures is that there's a confession that's very important that we acknowledge Jesus as Lord there's a repentance in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. We kind of skip over the repent and be baptized. We've, we forget over the, we skip over the repentance. And there's a, there's a vertical repentance that we're to ask God for forgiveness for our sins. There might even be a horizontal repentance that I need to go to somebody and I need to ask for their forgiveness if I've offended them. And then there's also a baptism. And all three are important. All three are necessary not to earn salvation but to accept what Christ did on the cross for us. To accept what he made available to the entire world. The cross is where it all started. That's where it all ends. The cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's our responsibility to accept that amazing, beautiful gift. As we kind of talked a little bit about last week, there can be some personal reasons why some of us are hesitant to be baptized. Some of us grew up in homes where we went to church practicing sprinkling as an infant, and we were sprinkled as, as a baby. Some of us went to, uh, grew up in homes where we went to a church and didn't really practice or emphasize baptism a lot, and as long as you, you prayed and, and confessed, and that was kind of it. And a lot of us have a, of a background that we bring to the text And it's really hard to set that aside sometimes to see what Scripture says. Baptism is one of the, I don't know, maybe more important ones. It's ones ones that a lot of people have, have, have that tendency to do. But there are other ways that I bring my background, I bring my stuff to the text, and it influences what it says. And my responsibility is to look at this inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. And say, God, teach me. Teach me about you. Teach me about how you'd created this world to be and what you want from me. And I wholeheartedly believe that one day when I stand before Jesus, I'm just going to say, God, I did my best. I tried my best. Teach me what I missed. Teach me what I overlooked. Teach me what I I didn't realize. And there will be this moment 
where so many light bulbs go off in my mind that I'm just going to, it's going to be overload and I'm just going to know God fully and I'll know what his word meant. And, and maybe some things I've gotten, get, gotten right and maybe some things I've been wrong about. But at the end of the day, it's not about my knowledge of these things. It's about the cross. It's about his death and his resurrection. And so we do the best that we can. Our parents have done the best that they could. Our grandparents have done the best they could to teach us this word. And if we come to a different conclusion that we need to be baptized, then you need to be baptized. And if your parents came to a different conclusion, praise God that it's not about getting wet. It's about the cross and the resurrection. There's a couple passages that I want to wrap up with as we see how this impacts how we actually live because a lot of this can be mental. A lot of this is a, I really hope this doesn't become like a college level class or anything and it's just information, information overload. But a lot of this can be a little bit more information. But there's some very real world practical implications and applications that I want us to walk away with. When it comes to the word of God, Jeremiah 15, 16 says, your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the the delight of my heart for I am called by your name, O God, O Lord, God of hosts. There is certainly something sweet about this book and the words that it contains. That fills our soul and there should be a desire for all of us who call on the name of the Lord to consume this book as often as we can, morning and evening, when we rise, when we sleep, throughout the day to consume what is in this book so that we can know God. And James 1, 23 and 24, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. It's not just about reading this book, church. It's about doing what it says. It's about doing what it says. And if you you fall in that category of being convinced that you need to be baptized, what I'd like to encourage you to do is to do it today. We're going to pause in this moment and we're going to take communion as a church family and we're going to remember what what gives us salvation, the death and resurrection of of Jesus. And I'm going to be down here, and if you don't want to come down here where everything's quiet, I'll, I'll stay down here throughout the next song also. But if you want to be baptized today, then after the last song, before Jillian comes back up to do some announcements at the end, we'll have a baptism. I, I'm ready. I don't care what I'm wearing. I'll go up there, and we, we will do this today. If you want to think about it for a little bit, come talk to me. And we can make that happen at a later point. If you don't want to do it up in front of everybody, I I get that. I understand that. Someone contacted me a couple weeks ago and said, hey, I just want to come in the middle of the day when no one's here. And I said, okay. I knew that there might be some students here from Grace and didn't tell them about it. Because there's also something important to being baptized in front of brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's energizing and we can help hold each other accountable. And we can say, hey, I saw you were baptized a couple weeks ago. How's it, how's it going? 
How's your faith growing? And, and we're supposed to be a community together. That's important to do. This person actually came during the middle of the day. It was a lunch. And they, uh, some students have, have cafeteria right in here throughout the week. And so we went up and we, we did the baptism during lunch. And the kids started cheering and clapping. And it was amazing. And then the, the head of the school, Ms. Brimner, she texted me later that day. And she's like, your baptism at lunch is all the talk around the school. Like, kids are loving it. They're talking about it. Some of them had never seen a baptism happen before. There's power in what happens in that moment. That moment of baptism can be a marker that we look back to and say, this is the moment that everything changed for me. This is the moment my sins were forgiven. This is the moment I received the Holy Spirit. This is the moment when everything changed for the rest of my life. So if you've not been baptized, think about it. And I want to encourage you to come talk to me about it. We're going to enter into this time of communion. I hope you picked up a, a communion cup on the way in. Church online, have something in this moment to take communion with. We remember this every week, not because the bread tastes really good and the juice is phenomenal, but because of what it represents. Because on that cross, not that exact one, but a cross very similar to that, hung our Savior, Jesus Christ. The creator of the universe came down and went to a cross so that he could be in relationship with us and offer us free of charge this amazing gift. And so we pause every week to remember what he did on the cross. Father God, we are so grateful and thankful for your love displayed on that cross. Lord, for what you did so many years ago in taking our sins to that cross for defeating death and coming back to life. For the new life that we can rise up from the waters of baptism in ourselves, that we can, we can experience new life in you here and now, but also into the future when we see you one day in eternity, that we can have newness of life. God, we're so grateful. God, I pray that something I have said this morning comes to the heart. As we have read your word that cuts to the heart, God, may your word convict us of sin and push us to do what is right. Push us into right living. Push us into baptism. If that's what we need to do, push us into a deeper relationship with you. And it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.